Carpenter with a drive. Deep right field. At the wall. one nothing. That's another leadoff homer for Carpenter. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the VEB podcast. I'm Tyler Kinsey. I'm a writer here at Viva Albertos and I'm joined by two guests today. First off, we have writer and editor Heather Simon, or as you might know her by her VEB name, LIL underscore Scooter93. How are you doing, Heather? Hey, how are you, Tyler? I'm doing good. And we're also joined by a first time guest of the podcast. That would be a fellow writer, Tanner Puckett. Hey, super glad to be here. At the expense of being melodramatic, we're obviously going to talk about Cardinal baseball, but this could be probably a two, two and a half week stretch that could have huge implications on the future direction of the franchise, and it could be more influential than any other kind of multi-week period in recent memory, and obviously there's currently eight of the next 11 games or it'll be seven of 10 by the time you hear this we're recording this on Thursday night I actually have no idea how the Cardinals Cubs game is going right now but I guess we can start with the big news that you've all heard about from Saturday nights Mike Matheny John Mabry and Bill Miller got fired so I guess I'll open this first question up to whoever wants to answer it first obviously I think we're all in agreement that this was probably a necessary move, but were you surprised to see the Cardinals actually pull the trigger midseason? Um, yes, I I feel like I, I was. Um, I I think a lot of us agree that this is something that could have easily been done last offseason and, and we everyone would have been happy, um, but it just feels so out of character given the way the team tries to present itself as so... Um, you know, poised and, and focused on consistency. Um, they use that term so many times. It it feels really abrupt. Um, as you said, it's it's definitely not something I'm I'm opposed to by any means. But um, just to to do that, especially in a time where Major League Baseball really doesn't want teams to make a big media stir right before the All Star break. Um, yeah, it, it felt really out of character. Um, it kind of felt like it sent a really big message um, because it's. I mean, they haven't fired a manager in over two decades, and then let alone to do so midseason is just um, seems unprecedented. That's basically sums up my feelings. I was shocked when I heard. Well, I didn't hear it. My mom texted me, which was even more shocking because my mom didn't even know how to spell Matheny. She, <laughs> she spelled it like Mathenia. I'm not even sure she knows what his name is. And she's like, "Did Mike Matheny get Mathenia get fired?" I said what? I, I don't know, and she says, it's on the news, former manager, Mike Matheny, is, uh, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, and I looked, and she was, she was right, by God, she was right, I'm like, yeah, I guess so, and then I had to explain to her why, and basically how I put it in the most polite way I could think of was he just did a lot of things that a good manager probably doesn't do, <laughs> um, so yeah, I was surprised, especially like you said, Tanner, before the All-Star break, it kind of seems like, and in the middle of a series, it kind of seems like that would be something that they might wait until after that series was over, since there's sort of a, there was a clear break there. Um, but as in mid-season, right after they re-signed him to an or signed him to an extension was that this offseason or the offseason before I guess it was 
until 2020. Uh, that um, was after the 2016 season. It was the day after right. the Cubs won the World Series, I remember. That's right. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, was, I was getting ready to say last offseason. I'm like, I guess it was the offseason before because it was right after the Cubs won the World Series because that was great news for everyone. So it just seemed kind of shocking because, and this is what some of the things the Cardinals said in their press conference, that they value consistency and kind of having that consistent voice in the clubhouse was important to them. But at a certain point, consistency, just for consistency's sake, is kind of ridiculous. If it's consistently not winning, then you need to, that's not, that's not, that defeats the point. (laughs) Yeah, and I get the sense that Mosellock and some of the other kind of more analytically driven people in the front office were probably, they would have been fine with firing Matheny years ago based on kind of his tactical blunders and I don't need to run through all of that you've all seen them time and time again and we've all been very frustrated about them time and time again but I guess I get the impression I don't know about you guys that uh, getting clearance from ownership and from DeWitt was kind of the final hurdle here that DeWitt was the one who kind of kept justifying keeping Matheny around as that leader and I know faith and Christianity was something very important to DeWitt so I guess, do you think it was these kind of clubhouse incidents in the final weeks of Matheny's tenure that really kind of flipped DeWitt's mind? Um, I I feel like it, it was definitely a bad look for the organization. Um, re- there's been so much talk about um, inconsistencies with the way that uh, Matheny communicated in the past. Um, I know there was that huge thing with, with Colton Wong wanting clarity on his role with the team a year or two ago. Um, and uh, Derek Gould of the Post Dispatch post, posted something where he said that the same thing had been happening with Fowler and that he just wasn't getting the clarity. Um, of course, the the Saxon pieces were really, um, really kind of a spark plug for a lot of people, um, especially in the national media. So, um, I I feel like something that Dewitt values uh, uh, more than maybe not more than winning. I, I can't speak to that, but he really values the image of the organization as like a. A steadfast contender and very, um, very strong and confident and poised. And when you have this type of mix-up um, and this this type of media coverage, it's just such a bad look. That I, I think you're probably right that like it was it was the straw that broke the camel's back and kind of the thing that pushed him to make a change to to speak to the national news and say we're we're the Cardinals, we're not going to do this. And um, because that he he made so many comments in his press conference like referencing the city of st louis like 500 baseball may be good here but not in this city and um yeah it seems like he kind of felt that the reputation of the organization was at stake from from what i could see you have to protect the brand at all costs and he was not he is in Matheny was not doing that anymore he was being harmful to the the brand at, at certain points even the on the field tactical stuff and I've kind of said this not as a Matheny defender but the tactical stuff um, there's not really a lot of managers that are very good at that there might be two there are some that are certainly better than others um, but there might be a couple and then the rest are just sort of okay and, and his decisions while certainly have an effect on the game don't drastically swing the outcome. Usually he might cost the team a few games a year, but it's not certainly the difference between generally the playoffs or not, although there is that one season they missed by one game, so maybe he was a difference. But 
but if you're protecting the cardinal brand and and being that that leader in the clubhouse that people kind of see as the face of the team not that the manager is necessarily the face of the team but he's the person supposed to be in charge and he was actively kind of harming it with and it's not even the things he said it's the fact that it's not even the stories so much that bother me um but the fact that they got out and were frames the way they were is is weird I guess because if he is communicating and doing his job effectively as a leader in that clubhouse those stories don't get out or they're not because that kind of stuff there's miscommunication and things like that that happen in every clubhouse but they're not reported on like that they don't get national attention so someone or some people had to have been either I don't know how to phrase it but it just seems like if people were unhappy and unhappy people talk and when and maybe it's cuz they weren't winning I don't know but other teams aren't talking about that kind of stuff because their managers talked with them and and kind of smoothed it over like and that's the one thing that he was supposed to be good at and and like PR and talking to the media and running at his clubhouse and having his players respect him. They're supposed to be able to, they're supposed to be, what's the, the phrase? Run, they, they said ran, people, there was players would run through a brick wall for Mike Matheny and they weren't doing that anymore. And sometimes it's just familiarity is a bad thing you get to know people too well and you form favoritism and different things like that and starting to ramble but there's a lot to the story (laughs) yeah and I would agree with you that winning kind of is that universal ailment for clubhouse discrepancies where when there is that on-field success I feel like we don't hear a lot about these types of things because part of the reason this stuff happens is when the team is struggling and this team really has yet to kind of catch fire and get that sustained success that we've been hoping for to get them back into the playoff picture, people really do start to look around and kind of point fingers at, okay, well, what is going wrong? And I think some of the chemistry and dynamics in the clubhouse were a big part of that. And I think that kind of segues into a question I had for you, Tanner, in particular. You wrote what I thought was a really great piece, and it really made me think, and I thought you challenged people kind of on both sides of the debate last week. It was titled... And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was called When Writers Get Weary and Fans Feel Fatigued. Yep, yep, that's it. <clears throat> yeah, um, and it, it, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that I am very much so was never a fan of Matheny. I mean, in my, my first post for the site was basically talking about how I didn't think he could handle the expected defensive versatility of the team and all those moving parts. Um, my, my only qualm with the Saxon posts were that um, that the language used um, seemed really inflammatory to me, and like the the issues were issues. Like it's if you're 
if you're not handling a situation where a player is upset with another player's actions or um, you there's a divide between players, I mean, like even Fowler has gone on record saying he and Matheny had ups and downs, but it almost felt like it was kind of a, a launched attack on the brand, like, like Heather was talking about. Um, it felt like Matheny has has made these moves on the field that have that have met been met with a lot of scrutiny from fans and from the media, but it's never really changed anything. Um, and so, what's the one thing that's really going to get the the pieces moving to get him out? And it's if it doesn't look like he can manage his team. If 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 the thing that is the most powerful for him, um, in his case for being the you know we we always use the leader of men. Um, name if if that is failing and if he's he's got a, a clubhouse that seems that it's um, in turmoil then what else does he have left um, and I definitely think that um, the issues the Saxon reported on were issues I just felt like when you stripped it down to the the base text like the base facts um, it it wasn't as as extreme as it was painted to be um, and so. I'm, I'm really happy with the result of what happened. Um, and I, I definitely don't question, question Saxon's integrity. Like he's been a journalist for two decades in this field. I mean, he's, he's more than earned his stripes. Um, but on the other hand, it, it just didn't feel like, it didn't feel like more than anything of attacking the clubhouse and trying to get to the bottom of this and really launch this narrative that, that Matheny has lost control entirely and he's he's really being awful to his players which he he could have um i the the whole point was as you said just to to make people step back and look because it was met instantly on twitter with like this just unquestioned rage and and i if if that had been 100% true and that um jordan hicks was mad and that dex had blocked Matheny's tweets or texts then that's that's pretty terrible but it was just to to take it with a grain of salt and to wait and see what the players had to say to defend themselves and and um, to realize that in the same way that the media can spin in positive of Matheny, it can be spun negatively as well. And as much as I want him gone, I want him gone off of something that's concrete. Because, yeah, I definitely loved your article. And I was one of those people, I don't know if I immediately, I, I was pretty upset when I had read the the story or I guess I guess yeah I read, I guess I read it. It was on the Athletic, and I don't know how someone must have sent it to me. But and once I read your article, I kind of took a step back and I was like, yeah, I think I think you're right here because it would have been I think more effective journalism had he included, like you said in your piece, examples of ways that Norris was writing, you know, Hicks. Yeah. Like, for all we know, was he literally, like, writing him, like, giving him piggyback? Was he had to give him piggyback rides everywhere? Like, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Is he just sending him texts, like, you better be on time to, to whatever? You know, like, then that's right. not really that big of a deal. But if he's, if he's, like, being a bully, which is the picture that was painted – of how is he being a bully? Like, let's hear some some kind of concrete examples of, of what he's doing. And there, we didn't get any. And then, you know, you we later find out that Jordan Hicks is kind of scared, not scared, but he's wary of talking to the media, which kind of mm-hmm. prompted his no comment 
comment. And, and we hear different things like that. And you're like, well, maybe this wasn't that big of a deal, but then it gets into kind of what I, my argument is that why did we immediately assume it was, and it's this culture that's been created through the manager and stories that we keep hearing about him. And maybe it's also because we're upset with him about other things and we want to hear what we want to hear. But if, if, if everyone's turned to where a story like this can come out and we don't question it at all, it might be time for the manager to go, (laughs) you know? No, that, and that, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. I, I remember reading, um, the hunt and peck you posted that day and, and that, that resonated with me as well. What you said, um, that, that if, if it's a believable story in the first place, then we have an issue, like regardless of, of if it, if it is factual to the, to the letter or not, then yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, there are managers that, you know, if, if this had come out about AJ Hinch, um, in Houston, people aren't going to really believe that instantly. But the, the fact that Matheny is capable of that in our minds was, was the issue from the start. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's, not just that, and kind of the fact that our default setting as readers and as fans was to really read between the lines here and jump to this conclusion about Matheny and this, you know, alleged disarray in the clubhouse. But I think the other thing, too, and apparently uh, Gold was reporting this, that this, I think Miklas was reporting it, too, that this kind of upset ownership was that Matheny's on record response to these allegations, and he kind of pivoted to the idea that we've entered this almost inferior era in baseball where players are more soft now and that's, you know, back in the old days when Matheny played and before, this was the responsibility of veteran players to kind of whip rookies up into shape. And I don't know, I think that really cemented, I'm guessing, for some people who had a great say in firing Matheny that he was brought in kind of ironically as this you know, new school, analytic, analytic savvy, uh, kind of good with young players. And really, it was the exact opposite of that and all the contradictions that ultimately did him in because I think this really did prove that Mike Matheny wasn't willing to kind of get up ahead of the curve and that he was really kind of stuck in these old ways of baseball, which maybe they would have worked back when he played, but I don't think you can say the same thing all these years later in 2018. That's a good point too. And and it seems like his first year he made some rough decisions, but when new uh young players were brought up, it seems like he managed them very well. I do remember the 2013 season and I brought this up in my kind of article that I wrote um about some of the good things that he did, like putting Matt Carpenter in the leadoff spot. That's not really a traditional baseball kind of move. That's more of the new analytical approach, putting your highest OBP guy and getting him the most at-bats. And he did that, and he did that pretty much right away. And uh, that kind of almost started a pattern of teams following suit with that kind of logic and putting those types of players, despite speed and other traditional leadoff qualities, that started a pattern of of teams kind of following suit with that. Uh, and when 2013 rolled around, they had those problems with the bullpen. Jason Mott had Tommy John surgery. Mitchell Boggs was boggsing everywhere. And <laughs> Fernando Salas was kind of supposed to be a top 
reliever at that time, and he was having a down year. And they brought up Carlos Martinez, and Trevor Rosenthal, I think, broke camp with the team, but he wasn't used in high-leverage situations. And you had Edward Mujica, who had a good season the year before, but he was more of a sixth-inning, seventh-inning guy. And he was quick to make those moves and, and trust those players. And that's when we heard a bunch of positive things about Matheny. He might have been a finalist for manager of the year that year. Or maybe it was his rookie year. I can't remember. But he th- that was a very good year for him, and I thought that that would be a good building block. And it almost seemed like the relationships that he formed in those early formative years, he he's very loyal. No one will question Mike Matheny's loyalty, I don't think. Um, and the, that loyalty, though, seemed to be part of his downfall and that – that loyalty that he formed to those players when he was a young manager became a deterrent in when those players got older and he couldn't let go of his loyalty to them. Definitely. Um, and that also kind of shows through in the way he, he kind of prioritized the old school baseball um, awards isn't the right word, but things like, uh, pitcher wins and and that type of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, leaving pitchers in way too long to try to let them get the the quote unquote win, um, trying to show confidence in someone by leaving them in in a tough inning, and then um, having having pitchers that relief pitchers that he just goes to with such consistency that it wears them down, like Manus and um, as we've seen with Bowman. I mean, he started the season on pace for like an appearance every game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems like he just. He had with he had situations where it was it was really dichotomous in the way that he approached it, where it was like there were certain relief pitchers or players who were going to get a start every day no matter what, but then there were certain parts parts of the lineup that just were in flux constantly, um, and it it didn't really seem to match up in terms of thought process. But yeah, and I think that really echoes what I'm pretty sure is still a pinned article near the top of our site, the one Craig Edwards wrote back in 2016. It was titled, I'm pretty sure the Cardinals should fire Mike Matheny. And one of the things he was talking about, going back to Heather's point about the bullpen, is that if you look back in 2012, the Cardinals, they go and get Edward Mujica at the deadline. And look at what happens the second half that year. It's pretty much any time the Cardinals are ahead or behind in a very close game it's Mujica in the seventh Boggs in the eighth Mott in the ninth and you saw the same thing in following years I'm trying to remember uh in the playoffs the following year it was Segrist in the seventh I'm trying to remember who it was in the eighth and then Rosenthal is the closer down the stretch after Mujica kind of fizzled out because Matheny overused him and I think Martinez became the eighth inning guy that's right Carlos Carlos Martinez and it was that need for kind of that very rigid order and you saw that with Mike Matheny kind of being uh hesitant with platoons at time and you go back to when Alan Craig was struggling and really just brutal play in 2014 and he was so resistant to the idea of giving Oscar Tavares and Randall Gritchick and some of these younger players more playing time when you look at the Cardinals and kind of their general roster composition of these last couple of years there have been some spots where you know this team doesn't have a proven guy where you can go into the air saying, this is my shutdown closer, for example. And Matheny kind of struggled with that. And I think 
very detrimentally to the on-field success of the club, he kind of shoehorned a lot of guys into these roles where maybe they weren't necessarily fit. I've said a whole bunch on this, so I think I am said all I can say. The only thing I keep thinking of for some reason in regards to Mike Matheny is I keep imagining he's Mike Matheny. The the bummer thing about this is Matheny, I loved him as a player. He's one of my favorite players. And now everyone wants, like, Yachty to manage and all those others play a player manager or Okendo or whatever. And it's like, can we just not make some of my favorite players, like, managers and make me hate them, you know? <laughs> like, let's not do this. Because I love Mike Matheny. All I keep imagining is, not imagining, but I keep seeing that video when he was in Milwaukee. He got hit in the face with a pitch. Yes. <laughs> and he just, like, does not go down. Like, that is if anything sums up Mike Matheny, that is Mike Matheny to his core. Like he'll be fine. It's, it's kind of sad for him personally. And as a fellow human, I feel empathy for the man. And I'm, I would have rather him had gotten better at his job than have to be fired, you know, but he'll be fine. If anyone can make it through it, I think Mike Matheny can. Yeah. And I guess my, lasting image that I hope I keep of Mike Matheny would be in 2014 after Tavares passed away that probably like Heather said I think in that piece was probably the greatest moment of Mike Matheny's managerial career where he sends out that great statement about how you know this is obviously a tragic time for the team but and I'm gonna mess up the quote so I won't say it word for word but paraphrasing he essentially said that love isn't a popular word, especially among sports and these professional athletes, but that's what these guys had in this camaraderie, and I think that epitomized what the Cardinals wanted out of Matheny as a leader. Definitely. All right, so if nobody else has any other thoughts on Mike Matheny, I guess we can move on to a little kind of thought exercise that Aaron Schaefer, or the Red Baron as he was formerly known, actually proposed that we do, and I think this is a really good idea. So essentially what we would do is just kind of go down the line position by position and talk about where we think the Cardinals are at that position, and do we kind of envision the Cardinals having their core player there. So I guess we can start at catcher, and obviously the Cardinals have three catchers right now that you could say could factor into their long term in Molina, Nisner, and Kelly, so... Whichever one of you wants to answer this first, where do you envision the Cardinals going with these two prospects on the rise, but also Matheny, or, sorry, not Matheny, Molina, kind of <laughs> continuing down the twilight of his career? See, that seems like a perfect Tanner question. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I, I don't have an answer. <laughs> um, wow, well, with, uh, I, I really don't know what the organization would be thinking in terms of the whole, like, uh, Kelly Kisner thing that's going on right now um it to me it's a really tricky situation because you have this prospect that has so much value that's sitting at AAA and he can't get any consistent playing time because Molina's playing like a 28 year old at 36 I mean he's just (laughs) he's he's so constant and so steady and the the offensive output that has just bursted out this year um I so I'm I'm not really sure where they would go. Um, I could see easily if if they if we perform well against the Cubs this series and the Cardinals are doing well and um, 
then and they think they should make a push, then I could see Kelly being dangled. I mean, I'm, I'm sure his trade value has been hurt a bit by how poor he's performed at the plate when he's gotten some chances. But um, I'm a really big fan of Kisner, and I, I'm I'm very aware of my bias there. Um, I I really like the way he plays. Um, I I saw a little bit of him in the fall league last year, um, and I I think the bat is for real. I feel like every level that he's played at he has hit well um and i think whereas the bat is a little more of a question for kelly um whereas his defense is stronger i think kisner has the bat and the defense is coming along um and i think that his trajectory and um his development right now just lines up a lot better with molina's decline um so from my perspective i i would love to see kelly get flipped um, for for some sort of value um, because I, I I feel like Kisner's a great prospect and I, I feel like he can hold it down but um, at this point I think that um, like so many other decisions wherever the Cardinals go in terms of Kelly or Kisner or or what have you is going to depend on what happens over the next two weeks yeah definitely and I think what will be interesting also is presumably at least one of these guys Nisner and Kelly is going to remain in the organization I highly doubt the Cardinals would move move both of their kind of upper end catching prospects so then the second question would become as Yadier Molina said that after his current contract extension runs out in and correct me if I'm wrong I believe it's 2020 is his last year Mm -hmm. I think so yeah so Molina I don't think it's any secret his performance has declined since his prime of 2011 through 2013 probably so how do the Cardinals try to kind of balance getting Molina enough playing time in his send-off, but also in these next couple years, especially towards the end of Molina's career, getting these young guys enough playing time? It's so tricky with a catcher because catching is such a brutal position to play that it's you don't want to rely on a 38, 39-year-old catcher to play every day. But then again, you ha- it's Yadier Molina, and if he can play every day, he wants to play every day. It's I don't know what the answer is, to be quite honest. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I feel like he has such a strong personality, and he's he's such a guy that, that wants the ball that as long as he can play consistently and it doesn't seem like it's hurting him, I feel like... Any, any manager that comes in trying to make a decision is going to be met with a lot of pushback, not only from Molina, but um, from a lot of fans, yeah, uh, that, that want to see him play consistently. Um, and it's, I, I, I mean, he could just fall off a cliff, you know, over the, over the next couple of years and just really decline. But as long as he's able to hold it down steadily, I, I just think it's going to be like pulling teeth to try to get him from behind the, the plate consistently. Um, so I, I, I don't really know either. I think it's going to be a really interesting um, story to, to watch unfold because uh, he's been such a presence and he's has such a strong voice in the issue. Yeah, and I think this is kind of one of those situations too where obviously we aren't behind the closed doors and I'm sure the Cardinals have had some very tempting offers involving Carson Kelly. I think I'm pretty sure he was rumored in the Machado trades this past offseason as a piece, so it definitely wouldn't surprise me if within the next calendar year, especially if the Cardinals do kind of uh, claw their way back into contention if we do see Kelly moved. I guess unless anyone had other thoughts on catch, we can move to first base. Sure. All right, so Carpenter, 
the Cardinals have kind of a situation at first base right now that's sort of in limbo with Carpenter, but also Jose Martinez. So first off, let's assume the Cardinals, they drop a considerable portion of these games against the Cubs, and it becomes clear that the playoffs aren't going to happen this year. They should probably sell. Would you consider moving a guy like Carpenter or Martinez, who is under contract past the season, but a lot of their value will be tied up in this year, which could be a lost cause for the Cardinals? Um, I I feel like in the case of Jose Martinez, I, I see him as a guy who could be moved if they're contending or not. Um, I I think he his bat is phenomenal, and I, I love watching him hit. But it's no it's no um, secret that his defense has been pretty terrible this season. Um, and I, I just feel like he's a guy who's made for the DH. Um, and I could see the Cardinals flipping him. There's been, there have been a lot of reports that they're looking for a left-handed bat. So I, I could see them trying to flip him to a, a, an American league team. Um, considering how much more control he does have it, it would make a lot of sense even for someone who's not contending this year per se. Um, even, even if they are contending the Cardinals, I mean, he, he's not, I don't think he's going to be a necessary piece in the fact that, his defensive value has hurt him so much. Um, I really enjoyed your piece that you wrote, Tyler, about um, about moving him and like how he he really doesn't fit with AL contenders right now um, that are making a playoff push just because of the value he would provide compared to the options they have. So um, I don't think he's going to net a huge haul, but um, as great as he is, I, I would love to see him moved either way. Um, Matt Carpenter, I, I definitely feel like uh, it would make a lot of sense to flip him if if they fall out of contention, like if, if they lose a considerable number of games to the Cubs here. Um, he's got another year of control. He could probably net some pretty nice return, and there have been several reports that uh, the Cardinals have wanted to sell for a while. So, I mean, given how consistent he's been offensively um, in his time, it, it, to me, he just makes sense to be a piece that gets moved if, if they fall out. Really, with both of them, I guess I'll hit on Martinez first. It kind of is frustrating because when you look at it from the Cardinals' perspective, I think Martinez is about as valuable as an asset now as he ever will be. But when you look forward, especially for the Cardinals, he's going to get older, so presumably his defense is only going to get worse. And he kind of has this weird career arc of being this career minor leaguer, but he's going to be going on the wrong side of 30 quickly, so I'm not sure how you expect kind of the power to age with him and... Once his hitting's gone, that physical skill set kind of erodes, it's really going to be tough to get much value out of him. And I think, like you alluded to, Tanner, in that piece I wrote, Martinez would have more value to a team that has the DH, but none of the contenders in the American League really have a need for a DH this season. So I think it is going to be one of those situations where just because this would be selling high for the Cardinals, it might not be much they're getting by selling high, but I still think it is something they need to do. Heather, do you have any thoughts on Carpenter or <laughs> or Martinez moving? Nothing to, nothing to add that you guys haven't really already said. Um, I think it would be a bummer to see Carpenter go, especially since I think that next season, even if they fall out of contention this season, I think next season he still has value to this team. And I, like you guys said, I like seeing Jose Martinez hit. Even if the, you know, the product in the on the field, actual literally playing defense on the field, is a little t- 
tough to watch. And he is, even though he's not great at first base, to put it um, delicately, he is not as bad in the outfield as he is at first. So it is nice having that kind of that option there. Um, if one of the outfielders happen to get hurt, which seems likely, <laughs> you have Harrison Bader, but then you also have, uh, which he's hurt right now, actually, but you also would have Jose Martinez to fill in at a corner spot. So that's what I like about him. But I agree that right now with the way his defense is, He's not providing much value to the team, but he could be valuable to an AL team if there was one that needed that skill set right now, which, like, doesn't seem to be. (laughs) And then Carpenter's interesting because he has that extra value from his versatility, but then again, as he gets older, I think you're increasingly going to want to kind of keep Carpenter at first base where, in a way, you can kind of hide the growing problems with his arm because if you have him at third base for example trying to make those longer throws all the way across the infield and we've kind of already started to see this with Carpenter it's not a very pretty sight I've never really been a fan of Carpenter at third base um ever since forever because of his arm and I just kind of you know tried to live with it because it hasn't really been too big of an issue but it is not getting any better. And I think first base long-term is where he's going to end up being. And he could be a great, you know, first baseman, but I think that's his spot going forward. Mm -hmm. So then I guess the other question would be Carpenter, assuming that, you know, he's going to get older and if we, (laughs) I would guess. He hasn't found a fountain of youth or anything. I'm going to go on the limb and predict that, yeah, he will get older. So if you do kind of enclose him off at first base, then do you consider somebody like Colton Wong at second base kind of your long-term answer there? Colton Wong, the problem with Colton Wong is that he needs to be platooned. And the manager needs to properly explain what that means. He needs to be the strong side of a platoon, but I think he needs a platoon partner. And if they if they could just and this is part of the issue with Matheny not the issue but one of the benefits is that maybe they'll be able to figure out how to do this properly um, with the players that the Cardinals have right now because it could can be done. You have Jed Jerko, you have Matt Carpenter, and you have Jose Martinez. You have the all the pieces there to do a platoon with Colton Wong. And so he doesn't have to face left-handed pitching because that's historically been the the weakest spot of his game is left-handed pitching. So that's the only issue I have with Colton Wong, Cardinals second baseman forever, is <laughs> that I, he needs a platoon partner. Or I'd rather him have one, I guess. Yeah, and Wong is one of those guys, though, that with the base running and with the defense, which I think has been really good this year at second base, you don't necessarily need to get a whole lot of hitting out of him. He can be kind of that average to slightly below average hitter, but that's still a perfectly fine, capable starting second baseman. I think, though, like you said, the problem with Juan is 
you know, the struggles against lefties and he should be platooned. And his career WRC plus, which if you don't know, 100 is average. So Juan is at a 70, which means he's 30% below average against lefties, which is pretty bad. So he would need to be about 15 runs. He'd need to save about 15 runs at second base over a full season to kind of just break even against lefties. And that's really going to be a tall order. And I'm not sure... Juan's capable of that, and that's not a knock on him. Plus, since most pitchers are right-handers, Juan would still be getting kind of the lion's share of the playing time at second. Yeah, definitely. Um, his his defense has just been so stellar that it um, it really makes a lot of sense to keep him in that type of platoon because, uh, like like it's been said, I mean he's he's fine against right-handed pitching. I mean he he's he, he his bat will play at least for the defensive product that he puts on the field, but. Um, yeah, I would. I think a lot of people allude to him as a trade chip, and I, I think he he would have a ton of value for the Cardinals in the right platoon, which could be a, a possibility moving forward. Yeah, I guess the question then is, if you move Colton Wan, what exactly are we doing at second base going forward? Because, like we were just yeah. talking about, I don't think you really want to trust Carpenter going on thirty four, thirty five as your everyday second baseman. I don't think definitely. Yeah, I don't think Greg Garcia's the answer would, there. I think you would have Jed Jerko play there, mm-hmm. and Carpenter would have to play third, and Jose Martinez would have to play first, which is not really an alignment I super like. I could deal with it, like I said, in a platoon where Colt Wong sits against lefties, and you play Jerko at second, and slide Carpenter over to third, and have Martinez at first. Um, and that's, you know, there's not a lot of lefty pitchers, so that wouldn't it'd be like once a week maybe. That would be fine. That would be a tolerable amount of times. But every day going forward would would not be I- ideal. <laughs> right. And it's it's not like the Cardinals have like a, a second base prospect just like waiting in the wings to take Wong's spot. It's like they picked up Schrock, but I mean, he his bat has been pretty rough for Memphis this year. Um, he just hasn't hit the way that he's hit in the past, and um, yeah, I think I think it'd be quite a gamble for them to move someone like Wong, who I mean, even even with an 83 WRC plus on the season, I mean, he he's he has 1.5 WAR. I mean, like he's he's a he's at least a league average or better player with the way he is right now. Um, uh, he's I mean, he's on pace for you know, like a 2.53 war season. Um, and if he were in a platoon, I mean, that's that's only going to enhance that value. I, I think that he could definitely be a, a solid contributor to the team. Yeah, and I think with Juan at times when he struggled and when Fowler struggled, I think, you know, guys like Schrock and this kind of glut of AAA high minors outfielders the Cardinals have, it's almost been kind of like, to use a football analogy, that backup quarterback syndrome where... You want to go with the guy who hasn't failed or struggled yet, even though he might not be the best answer going forward. All right, any other second base thoughts, or should we? Uh, None for me, nope. All right, I guess we can kind of clump this next group together, just the left side of the infield as a whole. I think Paul DeYoung, they just signed him to an extension. Even if the Cardinals lose every single game between now and the trade deadline, I doubt Dion is going to be moved for anything but then the interesting question becomes third base we've talked about Jed Jerko and Matt Carpenter but do you think this could be a position the Cardinals look to upgrade either 
at the deadline this year if they buy or in the offseason through free agency? Well, there's no Machado. So, although he was playing shortstop, I guess. And another thing they could do is I kind of see DeYoung, even though he's held down shortstop admirably, long-term I kind of see him playing a, his playing better at the glove being better at third base than shortstop. They could get a shortstop and move DeYoung over if they wanted to go that route. That's not completely out of the question. But I, I <laughs> other than that, I don't know. Um, that little suggestion, I don't know who's. I haven't really been paying attention who's available to be to be honest anymore. It's. <laughs> I was looking at Machado, and then I never really thought that they would get him. But then after he was traded, I've I've lost I've lost interest. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I think it's it's such a situation that is is going to be really flexible moving forward. I mean, uh, I there's clearly no indication that someone like Josh Donaldson is going to be available. Um, Moustakis is probably available, but I mean, is, is he much of much of an upgrade overall over what the team has right now? Um, I definitely see in the off season, it, it could be really flexible. And I think DeYoung provides enough defensive value at either position that it, it affords the team some flexibility. Um, like, it's you're going to have Mustakas available. He's he's on a one year deal. I mean Donaldson's about to hit free agency. Machado will be a free agent. I mean there there are options on the left <laughs> side of the infield, and I, I think that the the flexibility that DeYoung affords is is going to make it a lot easier. I really don't see Jerko as a consistent option um, in terms of of Manning third. Um, even tonight he had a really costly error. Uh, playing third where he he really cost Carlos a run and really um, threw him out of a a pretty smooth few innings but um, I I could see Jerko since he kind of falls into this left side of the infield conversation as being someone who gets moved um, if the Cardinals can find a deal that that provides enough value but I I definitely think um, it's all going to come down to who they could potentially lock up in free agency because DeYoung is going to be movable. Um, he'll be fine either way. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point, too, uh, with free, in regards to free agency, that it might be the smarter move to wait until the offseason, especially if they're out of it, um, to mm-hmm. upgrade that side of the, the infield. Yeah, I think obviously the big elephant in the room with this discussion is Machado, uh, especially looking at the offseason and free agency, but I think the real concern is not do the Cardinals have the payroll flexibility, because they obviously do, and Wainwright's $19.5 million will be coming off the books, but one, will the Cardinals actually outdo a Los Angeles or a New York in a bidding war? But also, is St. Louis an attractive destination right now where you could actually conceivably see Machado signing with the Cardinals? I think it comes down to money for a lot of like I don't just seem to be mean to be mean to seem cynical but I think the team that offers the most money or the better deal is going to be where they go like I'll stay in St. Louis if you know what I mean I'll go to St. Louis if they offer me more money than somewhere in 
Boston, although I'm from St. Louis, so that's easy for me to say, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that, I think that's the, the biggest part of it, um, although the, I mean, I'm sure they look at the clubhouse issues, and maybe that puts a pre, like, puts, it m- means that they'll have to pay more than what they normally would if they were this super, um, you know, like, Houston Astros, basically, or you know, like Golden, the Golden State Warriors don't seem to have trouble getting uh, <laughs> superstars to go to their team. So I'm sure if they were in a situation like that, but I think it comes down to uh, to dollars, and rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, I could see a, a break-even point in terms of money, where if it's just if you put this in front of his face, he's he's going to have a hard time saying no and. Um, yeah, it's not like the, the Cardinals don't have the payroll flexibility. I, I do think that location still will play a factor in the sense that not only is St. Louis a desirable location, but on top of it, how how do the Cardinals present themselves for the second half of the season? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they do tank over the next couple weeks and just can't get it going over against the Cubs, then um, and they start selling. I mean, if I'm Machado, I, I don't want to come in and, and not get the chance to win off the bat um, entering my prime years, especially when someone like L.A. and, and New York, is, especially the Yankees, are probably going to make a pretty huge run for him. I think I think a lot of it's just going to come down to that. But on the bright side, I mean, I, I don't think this is a, a player that the Cardinals would shy away from giving a really long, like expensive deal. Just given the fact that, I mean, even if it, even if you lock him up on a ten year deal, you have him through like what thirty six, thirty seven. It's not it's not like you're running um, a lot of a lot of down years potentially unless he just completely falls off. It's not giving a over 200 million to a 31 year old Albert Pools. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you should just tell them, someone should just tell them about our new trolley and that should convince them. To there come we to go. St. Louis. We're, yeah. we're getting a trolley. We've been, the trolley story has been around longer than Mike Matheny's uh, tenure as manager. Uh, but it's, it's coming. The trolley will be here and they don't want to miss that. <laughs> <laughs> True. That is a pretty big selling point. Yes. I would agree. Yeah, and I don't think any of the other big markets do they have a trolley. I don't think you see trolleys around in Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, so... Certainly not. We've got them right Certainly. where we want them. <laughs> yeah, it's a differentiator. And then, I guess the other possible free agent, it's no secret, the Cardinals have had this crazy infatuation with Josh Donaldson for... I don't know how many years now. It seems like it seems like the last time we didn't hear about this, the trolley was still underway. <laughs> <laughs> but with Donaldson, then you have the concerns about the injury, but also the age with him. He's getting up there, I think, will he be 32, 33, 34, somewhere in that range now. So I could see a situation that this could be a best case for the Cardinals if they don't get Machado, where really a market kind of doesn't form for Donaldson. And then the Cardinals can kind of swoop in and take him on maybe a shorter-term deal where you're not committed to this guy through, you know, his age 42 season or something absurd. I also think Donaldson makes more sense, say the Cardinals come back in this game and sweep the Cubs in five games. That's a very big, you know, hypothetical. But say they do, I could see Donaldson being even... um, a guy you go out and get for this season to push them over the top uh, more so than free agency. 
because he wouldn't cost as much as, well, Machado's already gone, but he wouldn't cost as much as Machado. And, um, and you're not so worried about re-signing him because he's older. But he, this year, would provide a lot of value. Yeah, the, the thing that worries me is um, given the way he's performed this season so far and, and the way he's been out for so many games, I, I feel like almost the Blue Jays kind of missed the boat. On, on moving him for anything significant at this point. Um, he just hasn't really contributed a lot at the plate this, this season. And I think that speaks to the, the point that was made that there may not be a market that forms for him um, as the off season approaches. Like he, I mean, he's been worth at least five wins um, over the past, like five seasons, I think. And then this year, I mean, he's, he's just struggled so, so much to even stay healthy. Um, and if that's the case, and guys like Machado and Harper are on the market, I mean, he he may be a pretty low 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 ad. But um, given the way he's performed, I, I'm not sure that the Cardinals may see him as as an upgrade per se. Um, I think if if they could get him for a steal, it it, it wouldn't make sense not to try to to lock him up. But um, I don't know. He's he's an interesting case. It's one of those things where the Blue Jays might have waited too long to try to get some value from their pieces but yeah and then the other concern with Donaldson would be too that as he gets older I don't know he's generally been regarded I think as at least a serviceable defensive third baseman but then you get kind of a sticky situation if you want to move him across the diamond to first base but then he's kind of blocked by Carpenter who's also in his mid-30s yeah definitely if anyone had final thoughts about the infield I guess we can move on um, yeah. All right. So the infield or the outfield, rather, that the Cardinals have going right now is really kind of a situation in limbo because you have some veteran players and guys like Fam and Fowler that you're not entirely sure what you'll get of them going forward. But you also have some younger players like O'Neill and Bader who have been pretty impressive in their time at the major league level, but. You're not entirely sure what to expect from them going forward if there will be regression. So I guess if I had to ask you guys, what would you expect for the outfield, not only in the second half this year, but going forward in 2019? Mm, that's, uh, <laughs> to me, that's, that's the hardest one to answer, um, just because there is such a, a glut of, off, of outfield talent in the minors and, and guys who could potentially perform really well at the major league level. Um I feel like Fam is a guy similar to Jose Martinez in terms of age and control that um, you don't really know how long he's going to maintain his value. Um, he's obviously had a pretty rough patch of the season where he was once a, a top ten guy on the Fangraphs batting leaderboards, and now he's he has um, you know he's below average at the plate. I mean he he hit a home run tonight. Um, then he also got picked off again and that's always been such an issue with him um i i could see him being one of the first pieces that the cardinals would move if he can get off really to a solid second half but the team isn't playing well um and if that's the case i I think you have a pretty clear person to, to take center in in harrison bader um i i'm a really big bader fan just because even even with his struggles against right, right-handed right pitching, I mean, he's been worth nearly two wins um, this season. Uh, he's, I think his WRC plus is like 
85 or 86 against right-handers even. So, I mean, his, his splits are even about where Wong has been um, as a whole this season. And as left against lefties, it's just been off the charts. And with, with the defensive ability he has, I think he could really stick. I think that Fowler's a really tricky situation. And if, if he doesn't play well the rest of this season, I, I really truly don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't know who would take that contract if he still plays as poorly in the second half as he did in the first, but I think he'll get every opportunity to play. Um, and Ozuna, I would really love to see him fix what he's got going on. Um, he's He's been so streaky. Um, Matt Veskersian referred to him last tonight, his first half as an exaggerated EKG. Um, <laughs> that, that he's had such crazy peaks and valleys that, and it's true. I mean, if he can, if he can fix things and get right, I would love to see the Cardinals sign him to an extension, but only if he resembles 2017 Ozuna and not what we've seen so far. But um, I think again, it's going to be one of those things that comes down to performance over the next two weeks. I mean, if if they do really well, I could see them selling off a lot of that minor league talent. But if not, I I think we'll see a lot more of them in the in the downhill stretch. To kind of piggyback off you said with Harrison Bader, I think Bader is one of those guys, like you said, who kind of has a higher floor where StatCast loves him both at the defense but also the speed. And even if he's not hitting particularly against the right-handed pitching, you're still going to get that decent value for him where he's definitely going to be playable and give you some sort of value. I think Fowler definitely is the interesting case because... Even if he doesn't really start to pick things up in the second half and in these next couple weeks, I don't know at this point if you just cut ties with him and kind of eat up the money on his contract because unless you give up some sort of significant prospect so you take on almost all of the money, it's going to be very difficult to move a guy like Dexter Fowler. So yeah, going into next year, I guess you would have a, like opening day outfield of... Ozuna, Fam, and Bader, which I think is okay. I think you can definitely live with that going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and on the other hand, I mean, like you said, with with Fam, I mean, he's approaching the wrong side of thirty. If he's not thirty already, I forget if he if he hit thirty this year. But um, he he still has enough control that it's not like he's he's not going to be movable next season. If if he doesn't have a good second half and he doesn't have value. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's flexible in that respect for sure. I don't think I have much more to add than you guys. That was very comprehensive. The Fowler uh, thing, the contract situation, whatever you want to call it, uh, I just really hope he turns it around. That's my plan is to uh, put a lot of hope into him turning it around because I don't know what you can do with that contract i don't think there's much you can do besides what tyler mentioned and just cut you know some costs and go forward which i really would hate to do because i really like dexter fowler yeah um, as a person you know i've never met him uh but he seems like a cool guy and i would really i just really hope he turns it around that's the plan yeah and <laughs> we're kind of already seeing the effects of this where when guys like Bader and O'Neill and pretty soon guys like a Rosarena come knocking on the door in the upper levels mm-hmm. of the minor leagues, that's just going to put more pressure on them where you have these very talented, young, cost-controllable players. And I think, especially if the Cardinals do kind of fall out of the race towards the end of this season, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Cardinals kind of give some of these guys a look in the major leagues just to see what they have. But at the same time, 
Fowler isn't going to magically improve by just sitting on the bench. So mm-hmm. this is something we talked about last week. I don't know if it's a DL stint or if you could convince him to kind of swallow his pride and accept a minor league assignment. It's I don't know if any of us have like a definitively correct answer on how to handle the Fowler situation. He will get time with I think Bader's hurt is if I'm if I know what I'm talking about. At least last time I checked, he was injured. So he will have a little bit of time to show what he can do. And maybe the all-star break, um, maybe with Matheny gone, uh, that'll help clear his soul. (laughs) 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 Whatever they need for for hitting. But maybe that'll help, you know, clear his aura or whatever. And he, uh, he will be focused and ready to go. I don't know, but he, he at least he will get some time to play uh, in this this Cubs series and that and the next I guess few I don't know I don't know the extent of Bader's injury uh, I don't know if they, when they expect him to be, to be back but I think he'll have this next week or so to show if he's ready to go again. Mm-hmm. After that, I don't know what they do if he's not ready then. If he's still the same as he's been in the beginning of the season, then we're in a tough spot. (laughs) Yeah, right now if Bader is hurt, let's say he does come back and this isn't a very serious injury, which I'd imagine he hasn't been placed in the DL or anything. I think it's just more of a day-to-day thing. Mm -hmm. Would you give consideration to, at least in the second half this year, kind of a lefty-righty platoon where Bader gets the lefties and then... Dexter Fowler is getting the bulk of the work against right-handers, or do you think Bader and his defense has kind of earned that more comprehensive full-time starting job in right field? I think that um, regardless of of how much data we have, there's always going to be that human element to the decisions, and I think that with the way that the Fowler situation has been presented in the media um, and the way that um, especially the Chicago media has kind of jumped on this and, and talked about how much you know they love Fowler and how is he getting treated like this and um, it's I think we're regardless of how he plays we're still going to see him get starting time um, I know for sure Schilt said that um, after his first game he said he went with a lineup that featured the guys that we're going to see the most for the next few weeks so um, in that respect I know Fowler's going to get his share of the time. Um, I, I could definitely see a platoon, and from what he said in the past, Fowler kind of seems like he, of course, every player is going to say this about themselves that they can turn it around, but he seems very convinced that he can still hit left handed pitching. But I mean, as we've seen, he's just been. As, as bad as he's been from the plate in general, it's it's been much more exaggerated from the right side. Um, so I, I would definitely see more of like a, a platoon situation where. Bader draws more of the starts um, but that might also be a bit of wishful thinking because as much as I love Fowler the person um, as Heather said as well I I just he hasn't been performing that well I mean he had he had a great five games to close out the end of the first half but yeah I think there comes a point where you just have to kind of pull the plug and say we're going to put the team out there that does the best um, it gives us the best performance regardless of um, the personalities involved <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's a that, good way of, of putting it, I think. That was a very Mosaic-esque response. <laughs> that was some most some most speak. Most speak, yeah. I'm training, yeah, I'm, I'm training myself in most speak. Um, <laughs> so. 
All right, uh, I guess that'll do it for the position player side, and we'll try to wrap this up pretty quickly. I guess we should probably touch on the rumors that have been coming out today about Carlos Martinez. Potentially, if the Cardinals lose some of these games against the Cubs, being on the trading block, and apparently there were reports that the Yankees actually have scouts at his start tonight at Wrigley Field, so this was something that we were talking about uh, individually before we actually started recording. What are your guys' impressions of a potential Martinez trade, and what kind of situation would you envision this making sense in? Uh, basically, I hate it, and I don't want it to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> I hate this idea. This is stupid. No, it's not stupid. I, I kind of what I said, and I said this before we started recording, but the they don't need to trade Martinez. He's not, you know, a, a Fowler-like contract. Like if Fowler was playing really well, but the team wasn't doing that well, but he had this big contract, that might that would be one you would get get rid of. He doesn't have that kind of contract. He has a great contract, and uh, he is a valuable contributor to this team. This kind of game aside, where he had that, he melted down a little bit. Um, they don't have to, but if they are no longer competing this year, and a team throws a bunch of good prospects, premium prospects at you, you have to think about it. I think. You have to think about getting better. Uh, but they don't need to do it. And I really hope really hope they don't because he's a personality on the team that I think really, especially now, could use the personality. Uh, that sounds kind of stupid and, like, idealist or, or whatever. But I think that they really need someone like Carlos Martinez. And I would on a personal level be very sad to see him go especially since as i was saying we're close personal friends and i've met him three times we played basketball together it was you know not a big deal or anything but <laughs> now will you will you confirm on record what you told us that you said martinez was bad at basketball so <laughs> he didn't like he didn't like actually play but he was shooting hoops and i don't know how seriously he was taking it but he was missing by a considerable amount, uh, which I'm pretty good at basketball, and so that's that's like like I was making I was way closer on my shots than he was on his, but that's not really fair because I'm I'm actually I'm I'm kind of good, but no, <laughs> that's not really fair because I'm I'm pretty good and so I make more shots than than most people, but. I expected him to be a lot better than what he was. Let's just say he, his form was very weird. Like <laughs> it looked like someone that did not shoot a lot of basketball, but like he's just kicking it, having fun. I I think that that kicking it, having fun, like it, it goes well with what you said that he's he's a real personality on the team. Like he he is a lot of fun. I mean, there's there's that clip that sticks out to me of when he like made the, the cup pyramid way back uh, yes. a few years ago in the dugout and was like protecting it with his life. I mean, he's, he's a really fun personality after, after reading the the piece that he posted on the players tribune about his journey to the majors. It's just like, he's someone you want to root for. He's, he's clearly someone who loves being in St. Louis. Um, and as, as you said, I mean, he's, he's on such a team friendly deal. He's, he's not a piece that has to move. Um, but since we were speaking of Mo Speak earlier, um, 
Ben Fredrickson of, of the Post-Dispatch uh, tweeted that Mosellock was asked about uh, trades, and he said he didn't envision uh, quotes around that, moving pitching, <laughs> um, and that it would have to be a very special type deal. Um, so, of course, more Mo speak, but um, it I, I would only see it happening if it was a huge package. I mean, people have, have said it, ha- it would have to be like similar to the Chris Sale return. And if that were the case, then, I mean, it, it with the, the depth that the Cardinals have in the minors, it'd be hard to say no if they could return something excellent. But on the same token, I mean, the Yankees, like, Gleyber Torres is no longer a prospect, and uh, Catchman has been very clear he's not moving him. I mean, I, I don't know if they'd be willing to part with Andujar, but do you, do you think that he's actually going to be a long-term stick at third base? And is he worth giving up someone with as much potential as... as um, Martinez and, and something that you said in your piece today, Heather, about um, how he's just entering his prime. Um, it's we, we really probably haven't seen the best that that Carlos Martinez can provide. So I, w- I would really hate to see a move. But if if the deal were just phenomenal, it would also be hard to say no, given given um, the situation around the team. I'm trying to remember the Chris Sale trade. That was Montanda. Was uh, that him or was it G- Giolito? Nope, that was from the Nationals. No, the, I'm trying the, to remember. It was Makata yeah. and was that yeah. Kopich or Kopich? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just for some for the, some uh, not for, is it perspective? The word I'm trying to think of. Right, <laughs> Whatever right, yeah. that word is, yeah. Yeah, that, and that was the Moncada deal. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was a really a really and and I believe Kopich was also in, in that deal as well. So it's it's guys that. Um, are really, really going to be providing some solid value to the team within a few years, like big pieces to build around. Um, and and something that is really not just going to be something we have to wait for years for to develop, but people who are clearly in the, the top 100 prospects at least and, and multiple of those. Um, and I, I just looking looking at the, the Yankees like top prospects, uh, the majority of them are pitching. And I, I just feel like um, that, that doesn't really help the Cardinals solve a problem. <laughs> that ain't gonna work. That <laughs> yeah. ain't. That yeah. Ain't, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it just doesn't seem to solve the problem that they have. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Everybody keeps talking about them being a good match, but just given their farm system, I don't, I don't really, I don't really buy into it too much. Yeah, and with that, if the Cardinals are selling, looking at prospect returns, this team has like this glut of kind of forty-five, you know. C plus B minus ish okay prospects. I think this team should be more aggressive if they're going for prospects and kind of just swinging for the fence with kind of the high upside guys. Where if they don't work out, that's fine, but you have the potential to really hit on a star player right here. And I think that's kind of the risk they need to be willing to take. And one other note on Martinez it is kind of a bit paradoxical in the sense that if you're moving Martinez, you're obviously not contending this year. So you have two options, which is shred everything down to the studs, which I don't think this team needs to do. This is still a pretty talented team. And then the other option is kind of that shorter term, almost retool instead of a full out blow everything up rebuild. But then if you're moving Martinez, I think that pretty clearly opens up a hole in the starting rotation, especially with uh, health concerns with guys like Waka and Reyes. So then you're having to move resources in the offseason, whether it be prospects or money, to get a pitching, uh, you know, get a rotation piece. 
But you could just use those resources to get the bats in the first place that you were getting from Martinez. So I understand the idea of getting Martinez in theory. It's just in practice, there are going to be so many moving parts to this. I don't see it actually creating much of a, a positive impact and really moving the needle on this club. Definitely. Um, and just to, to make sure that I clarify something I had mentioned, I had said that they have a lot of pitching depth, but just to touch on what you said there, I mean, like it's they don't have a, a, a prospect that has the same caliber as, as Martinez. I mean, it's he's he is an ace pitcher when he's right, and I, I don't think that um, there's someone waiting in the minors right now that can step up and fill that type of role. Um, so yeah, they they would definitely have to pursue things. I mean, like just just because there are, are tons of pitchers in in the minor league system right now doesn't mean any of them compare to Carlos. So yeah, and I was seeing people on Twitter today saying like, oh, we have Gomber and Ponce de Leon, and we'd be fine. We could absorb the last of Martinez. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, those kind of aren't the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> And and with, yeah, like you said, there's Alex Reyes, but who knows what he's going to come back as from this most recent injury? I mean, what he had a lat tear, like it tore from the the you know I don't really know much about the muscles, but the way it sounded, it sounded really bad. I don't know. I, I mean, that that's the type of injury that uh, Cindergard had, but. Mm-hmm. His it was worse, you know. That that could be really bad. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I hate to say it with Reyes as far as the near future goes, but this almost seems like more of a thing where it's a luxury if you do get production from Reyes more than a given. That's oh, you know, he's going to be in your twenty nineteen yeah. rotation throwing a hundred fifty plus right. innings. And with Reyes, not that it's, it's a bummer that he can't pitch, but. He, They've lost two years of club control with him now. Yeah, yeah, that's so. that's such a huge thing. Is is that that factor in itself? I mean, he's he's already a less valuable as an asset just just because of how much teams value that control. I mean, and we haven't seen him pitch at the major league level since consistently since 2016. Like I, I loved watching those rehab games, and looking back on it now, it's like a tease given yeah. how little we saw him, but. <laughs> I mean, he was carving up minor leaguers, but yeah, is he going to be able to come back and, and maintain the, the ability that he has? And he'll be, what, I guess 24 by the time he's finally back. And um, yeah, it may be a whole different thing. Yeah, and that's the one thing, too. I would caution fans who are fantasizing all of their mock trades and everything. When you're talking about valuing all of these young Cardinals pitchers, there is a reason that teams value position player prospects much more than they value the pitcher prospects because there's so much more volatility and the attrition rate with pitchers is so high because when you think about what they're doing, they're just repeatedly performing this act that the human body should not be able to do. And it can't, like, pitchers are just a ticking time bomb until their arm falls off. Ten staff, I think. Yep, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Yep. All right, so we... We somehow made it. We covered the starting rotation in every <laughs> single position. Uh, I guess final thoughts. Uh, where do you predict this team will go at the trade deadline? Oh, man. It's a loaded uh, question. It's, uh, it's still I, my answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think so many of the things that have been 
recurring issues with the team aren't aren't going to be solved instantly. Um, I think it's going to take some working with the new coaching staff. Um, and I, I genuinely don't know um, if I had to to say. I mean, since we're recording this in the middle of the game, if if I were <laughs> looking at right now, it, it's not that things look too great, but um, where we are in the game. But um, if if the offense can pull it together, I, I genuinely think that the pitching can hold. And I, I think that with a different person manning the bullpen decisions, I, I think we'll probably see an uptick in terms of performance. And that may come back to bite me saying that after two weeks. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but I, I, I can't see this us really going on a tear here. I can't see the Cardinals like sweeping the Cubs in all of these games and and just being dominant. Um, I I think they're probably going to be middle of the pack. I I would. This is something that Ben has said on the site a lot that they should do like a hybrid rebuild, kind of like the Yankees did, where they trade off some older pieces and get some younger pieces. And I I think they'll still be treading water, but I don't think they're clearly going to be contenders. And um, I could. I, I think they're probably going to do a mix of buying and selling if, if I had to, to take a guess with what we have available to us right now. Yeah, and I guess I did one thing about the Yankees rebuild, and I've heard a lot of people, and I personally would advocate for that, kind of like a minor sell where you're still adding pieces, but kind of with 2019 and 2020 in mind. Let's keep in mind, the Yankees, the reason their kind of quasi-rebuild was so quick is because they had a ton of things just fall perfectly into place for them with Gary Sanchez yep. and Aaron Judge just becoming this monster of a hitter and Stan kind of falling into their laps. So it's not going to be like that for the Cardinals, presumably. I mean, I'd love it if it was, but realistically, it's not like you're going to trade Bud Norris and a couple pieces of this trade deadline, and the next thing you know, this team is contending for a pennant next year. Right. I think if history has shown us anything about the Cardinals, they will, you know, go do what they've always do what they always do, and be consistent and go for consistency rather than any type of drastic rebuild. Uh, they might do kind of what people have talked about a mini rebuild, where you know maybe the next year they go 500 and then start over from there, but. I don't see a teardown in their future. I think, I mean, the hope is that they come back and win this game and sweep the Cubs and go on a tear and win all of the games. And <laughs> But I don't see that happening either. I think this is kind of, this 500 team is kind of what they're going to be. They'll make a, one or two moves at the deadline. And I think the biggest shakeup is what we've already seen with the firing of the manager. But you know, we can hope. We can hope that this uh, the manager shakeup was what the the kick in the the butt they needed, and they'll go on this epic, you know, epic run from here and win the World Series. That would be fine. I'm not gonna complain. Twenty eleven round two. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, cra- crazier things have happened. Only, it's true. What seven games out of the division? They've been further back. Could yeah. ever tell me the odds? You know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I'd agree with all that, that probably the coaching shakeups will be the biggest moves made this month, and I think there definitely will be moves made between now and the trade deadline, but I don't envision a whole lot of roster turnover between now and the end of the season. The offseason could be a different story, though, but 
until then, I think we just need to get the Machado GoFundMe going and just hope for the best. I'm on it. Unless any of you had pressing topics you wanted to discuss, I guess we can kind of wrap things up. Mm, that sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. This has so, been fun. I enjoyed uh, getting the, the podcast back up and going. I said this last week, but I'll say it again because I really have. <laughs> Yeah, this has been fun. Um, I'm really glad to have been able to be on and, and talk talk Cardinal baseball and, and get involved with the podcast. It's it's been a fun it's been a fun hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this has been like I've really enjoyed actually putting all of this together, and uh, everyone who's helped me with this has been great. All of you. Uh, first off, thank you everyone for listening. And second, I guess I'll start with you, Heather. Is there anything you want to plug, social media, Twitter, stuff on the sites? Where can people find you? Sure. Uh, You can read my writing at Viva Alberto's Monday through Friday at 12 noon. And if you are inclined, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at LIL underscore Scooter 93. All right, Tanner, do you have anything you wanted to shout out? Sure, yeah. Um, So um, I... My writing goes up at VEB um, at 10 Central on Thursdays um, and then at 11 Central on Sundays. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter and have some discussions there, it's at Tanner C. Puckett. Tanner's a great Twitter follow. I'm not going to lie. Oh, thank I you. Yes, I, yeah. I can vouch for this too. <laughs> well, That's when, when we first, when I first saw the hiring. was the first, or one of the first things I did when I saw the new hires and I went to their, their Twitter and I saw that Tanner's, I'm like, Oh, I like him. <laughs> I was like, I'm really my reaction. Like, oh, I like him. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, very appreciative. I, I enjoy um, following you both on Twitter as well. It's nice to have a, a little Cardinals community. I, I was never really involved in Cardinals Twitter, but I wanted Aww. to be. So it's Aww. nice. To, it's nice to join. We're still taking applications for weird Cardinals Twitter. I think that's still yeah. that's still a thing. I am the uh, the current president. Uh, I won the bracket for president, and I that was like three or four years ago when there was like eight of us, but I have not given up that role. It's become kind of a dictatorship at this point. I four, rule with an iron, an iron fist. Yeah. Four, four years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get rid of me. All right. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you... This is not for the faint of heart, but if you do want to make the venture to follow me on Twitter... I technically can't stop you. It's at Tyler <laughs> underscore opinion. As my bio I says, I'm a, yeah. I am a sub-replacement level tweeter. So you have, <laughs> That's not true. No. You have all I been have, warned. Yeah, the data to prove it. All right, and then the you can... Tar tweets above replacement. Like, at least three. <laughs> three tar. I remember I did it. Yeah, three minimum. I remember such a dumb fan post I did. It was... Uh, Using all these metrics to like rank every team's social media account. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's an incredible. interesting idea, though. Yeah, that is. Yeah, the Cardinals are actually a lot higher than I expected them to be. I think there's a lot that can be said about their social media, and, like, like no one really likes the boring, like, just get the info out there social media. But anymore, I kind of appreciate that. Like, some of them are getting a little too cute. And I'm like, you know what? I just really want to know 
I just want to know when they're going to reschedule this rainout game. Could you just like let me know and let's not do this this banter. This is weird and I don't like it. So <laughs> I don't like corporations uh, telling fans, putting fans on blast or whatever, like scares yes. me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'm a person just like you, except I'm a multi-person company with oh. millions and millions <laughs> of followers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and dollars and the 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 uh. The methods are, I can't think of the, the word I'm trying to think of, but you could ruin me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you could be owned online. Yes. The yes. To ruin me. It's a little worrisome. Yeah, PSA, everyone, do not add the teams, and especially, please, do not mention the players in your critical tweets. Nothing yes. good ever comes of it. And if yes. someone tweets something critical, don't at the players uh, to you know what I mean, like tell on someone about the crit- the critical tweets because like what are what really what good is that doing? Like right. you're not being you're not being a hero if someone's saying oh Dexter Fowler should have caught that ball and then you add Dexter Fowler like what's this person saying about you? Like shut up, shut up. <laughs> it wasn't for him to see. It was for the privacy of everyone on Twitter except for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tuya. <laughs> We have rambled on for long enough, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, any final words, life advice, and the spirit of Mike Matheny, inspirational quotes you want to send everybody off with? I mean, I think we need to end every podcast with a Matheny, like, fortune cookie uh, <laughs> quote. Now. I am on it right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just... Just be a grinder. Um, yeah. <laughs> be, a, be a teamster. You know, give, give one hundred percent. Boys, give your all. Okay, here is one. I went to. I searched Google inspirational quotes. This is one of the first ones that came up. In the wise words of unknown, the past cannot be changed. The future is yet in your power. So, I'm not going to interpret that for you. That's not my job. That's your job. <laughs> it's beautiful, and I think that applies to. Mike Matheny himself right now. Definitely. Only got the future, so don't dwell on the past or whatever. (laughs) I think this also applies to the Orioles screwing up everything having to do with Manny Machado the past few years. Yes. It could be worse, Cardinals fans. It could be so much worse. Yes. I think that's a good note to end on. Yep. <laughs> a nice positive note. It could be worse. <laughs> it could be the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been episode 122. I'm scared to look at what the final recording time has been on this, so I'm just going to stop talking. Thanks for listening, everyone.